Hey folks, this is Jeremy. Uh, you're about to hear part of a three-parter episode that we recorded with Derek Varn. If you'd like to hear the entire episode, you can do so right now by heading to patreon.com slash giving the mic. So why do you think there's been a renewed interest in conspiracy through culture um, to kind of to kind of bring because left-wing conspiracy culture has been I feel like it's kind of died down until recently, although there the the resurgence of certain kinds of Marxist Leninism and I'm not even going to tar all Marxist Leninists with this brush, even though, you know, I, I like to tar them with all kinds of brushes sometimes, but um, it's not all of them. But there's there's a certain amount of like resurgence in conspiracy thinking there because you know it's very easy to think everything everything ever bad about this said about the soviet union is a bourgeois conspiracy but um it seems like trueferism and that sort of thing has been almost solely ceded to the right am i wrong about that i mean like it's just it, it it's very interesting how like in, in trump world a lot of stuff that was kind of the countercultural right has is is you can hear it on Fox News now. Well, Jeremy and I were actually talking about this before the podcast started, but I was actually making the argument that a lot of the Russiagate stuff is actually a left wing conspiracy. Oh, I, I actually, I would. It's a left liberal conspiracy. But yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would not. I would not describe it as left wing because most of the people, you know, it's it's yeah. Okay, it's a it's a left. In parentheses, left, American left. It's 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 a liberal conspiracy. Yeah, yeah. I separate yeah. the two, but I'm pedantic. So, so but to avoid that, it does actually bleed over into some left circles, but not as much. And the, and the issue with dealing with Russiagate is like every third or fourth thing is kind of true. Like, for sure, for sure, there there are Russian bot mods and stuff messing with Facebook. For sure, hundred percent. Um, but. It probably didn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> like that's the um, it's yeah that's the scale it's the it's the scale and the culpability that kind of falls apart for a lot of the stuff. It's like yeah they did fuckery, but like everybody did it like all the time, and even like in a, what was it? There's some some like liberal American businessman even who was like you know trying to trying to like I guess do his own experiment threw his own money at it too and, and even like tried to like screw around with some election shit just to prove it to himself or something and it was yeah sure but that's a far cry from putin has blackmail material on trump and also there was a major sale of a russian oil company that was used to pay off somebody else and that it's basically just collusion from top to bottom well that's, yeah, I mean, think- that's almost impossible right i mean like I don't know. What were you about to say, Jeremy? I was going to say. I think. I think the the collusion bit comes in because I think the that's the thing in terms of. Um, and we can we can tie this into the earlier uh, earlier thing we were mentioning about the um, the dramatic overamplification of stakes and effects. It's kind of a thing where um, garden, you know, just kind of like pedantic, not pedantic. Uh, pedestrian that's probably better like you know just garden garden variety bog standard you know international business fuckery goes on and just just for like really boring dumb shit but not like um it's kind of a thing where the the reason why uh and because again these this kind of this theory you know because all these theories serve a purpose um it gets lammed onto because it, you know, it, 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 it fills the gap of like, hey, wait a minute, why, why did the election go that wrong? Oh, it must be, you know, it's, 
And it, 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 it couldn't possibly be that Hillary Clinton specifically didn't appeal to one Midwestern state's, you know, working class demographic, which was the only working class demographic that even voted for Trump. And only did on the margins because most people didn't vote at all. No, yeah. it couldn't be that. Yeah, it must th- be Russia. That's the thing. Is like the, <laughs> the, um, the you know there was, the, uh, and was it was it Aaron who, uh, Aaron Gupta talked about this, but it was a similar of like how both you know like eight years earlier with Obama showing up and all of a sudden like him getting elected and kind of just you know rupturing this you know the entire like conservative worldview like they you know they thought that they had it down and all of a sudden so. This this guy kind of like out of nowhere with that name, you know, you know, the black guy from Hawaii does this and it's kind of a thing like, oh, wait, you know, maybe we're wrong, but we can't be. So, oh, wait, he must be he must be, uh, you know, he's an external. He's a, he's he's got to be a foreigner. He's got to be from out, our 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 concept of the system is sound. It's just like this foreign threat came in and fucked everything up. Yeah, I mean, there are there with is a lot more mirror with, with a lot more yeah. racism. Yeah. And and this isn't new. um and in some ways, it's, what's worrying about it is actually that low-key stuff that's happened in the past. Like, I think about all the conspiracy theories about voting fraud during the Bush years, right? They weren't even that conspiratorial. We had plenty of, you know, evidence yeah. that voting patterns were messed up in Florida. They almost always are. Yeah, the uh, the state of, well, you know, the state of, in term, talking about electronic voting, paperless voting in the state of Georgia in the fucking what was it 2018 or 20 when was that when was the well what 2018 the governor election and many other elections in the the statewide elections in the state in georgia alone oh last yeah year. with, with, with uh, the secretary of state who's in charge of elections being the person running and yeah yeah oh yeah uh, and, and georgia's georgia's not in like there were there were gaps and and security and stuff that were there but i i will also admit that like watching new york magazine publish an article basically accusing Trump of being a Soviet spy as if there's consistency from 1987 yeah. Soviet Union to now the foreign but, yeah the the foreign slavic threat like these like the he's fucking Nikolai Volkov or something I mean yeah I mean that's just that's nutty like um and look it, it, it made me really feel weird because for example I've been talking about let's say Alexander Dugan mhm for like 10 years okay nobody cared <laughs> and what was funny is when i was talking about him he actually was a lot more powerful in russia he's actually been marginalized for about four or five years now but you wouldn't know that from all the liberals all of a sudden discovering him when i was talking about him the only people who would write about him were either very far leftist in eastern europe who just kind of knew um about the national bolshevist threat and which he was no you know kind of came out of um, people who who were leftists who kind of liked him, which was concerning, and um, and by that I don't mean liberals; I mean leftist leftists, right? And um, and like neoconservatives who were looking to stoke war of Russia, you know, that was the only people who cared. And then all of a sudden, like during this conspiracy theory time, like you would think that he was like Rasputin to Putin, even though like Putin kind of had him removed from his Moscow University post and stuff. Like it's. It's 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 kind of it's it's not just like nutty. It's like factually wrong. It shows a complete disregard for actually knowing what's going on in Russia. How much of do you think the freakout is just due to the due to the class position and background of the people who make up the vast majority of American like establishment news media? 
Because the, the take that I always had on it was that all of a sudden you had a lot of extremely comfortable people, the uh, the the, uh, the punditariats, who um, kind of make, mistake their own feelings of comfort or of of the the. They think Manhattan. I mean, I want to crap on the DSA here. You must forgive me, but they are to Manhattan what the DSA is to Greenpoint. You know. Yeah. Um, so what it's, do I mean it, by it, that? It, well, well, like it, they, they Jacob, kind of assume. Oh, yeah. Huh? No, I was gonna say Jacob shrugged at that, but it's a um, I, I I got I understood the reference, but it's yeah, it's kind of, but it's kind of a thing. All of a sudden, you have a bunch of you know a bunch of really not too ideological people, but who were paid to like talk about this shit, and you know all of a sudden they, they were proven wrong, and they felt extremely uh, extremely uncomfortable about this, and so they have you know when you feel when you need an explanation, that's where the uh, that's where the speculation comes in. And they don't know many working class people who don't vote, right? And they also kind of assume that everybody everybody believes the media because they also kind of have invested in that because that's their own self-importance. Um, yeah, I mean, that that for sure is part of it. But that's not all of it. I mean, like, um, watching I, – I got to admit, watching left liberals turn on Russia today was weird. Like – you know, like it, it, you you remember during Occupy days, RT could do no wrong, even when it like was having Richard Spitzer on stuff before anyone knew who he was. Another thing that came out of all this, right? Um, RT had on. They had Ed Schultz after MSNBC kicked him off. They, I think, they even still carry um, Tom Hartman. Yeah, who's been I mean, a, who's who moved been been a, you know kind of a at least a, a progressive. Yeah, I could call it, call it uh, you know broadcaster out of uh, out of Portland since he moved out here in the last fifteen years. But yeah, well, I mean the thing with with RT is the same thing with like Radio Free Europe in a way. Like they would occasionally get real like decent journalists, um, even though they were state sponsored media organ. I mean, and they are, but that wasn't totally what was driving them. I mean, one of the things I like to talk about is Al Jazeera does pretty good news in English. It's news in Arabic is actually very very different. That's not a conspiracy. It's it, it, but it is sort of like tied into like Qatari interests are different in English than they are in Arabic. Well, I um, mean, with so, both of those institutions, though, there's been a pretty substantial shift in their organizational structure over the years. And oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't think it's particularly conspiratorial to say that both have taken more aggressive positions on things after having established their credibility that they might not have in earlier days. For sure. Although what was interesting is like Al Jazeera has lost some credibility over that, but not to the extent that Russia today has. Yeah, sure. And and frankly, I don't know what, uh, you know, RT's other language. I've never really looked into its other language coverage. Um, But from living in the Middle East, I could tell you that, and knowing people who read Arabic that, um, Al Jazeera Arabic is a very different animal than Al Jazeera in English. Yeah, similarly, um, if you want, if anybody wants a domestic, <laughs> domestic, a, a very much more local example, compare CNN International to CNN America, and you. Oh got, yeah, it's very different. You got, uh, <laughs> you got. We're talking. It's like um, it's the difference between like the BBC versus Fox News. It you know to take up two semi-random examples, but yeah, it's. Well, even Fox News, there was a piece in the New Yorker by, I believe, Jane Meyer, who talked about how there's been a pretty substantial shift there as well. Just oh, yeah, well, yeah, that that's been fascinating too. Like, like it's hard to think of Sheldon Aderson being like a force for moderation, but 
but apparently he was in English. <laughs> so, I mean, in America, like, like he was worried about them losing their, their, their fig leaf of some credibility. Um, and this is actually interestingly that, you know, they talk about business conspiracies, but like, um, a lot of the fig leaves that News Corp worldwide have fallen in the last few years, not just in America. Um, so that's been, that's been interesting to see. Um, but you're, you are right in the sense that I think Russiagate, I mean, to, to, particularly to the extent that you hear, like, I will admit, I, I listened to, I tried to listen to Rachel Maddow. I was, I was on Stitcher and, you know, I, I, I peruse, like, I try to keep up with what the, what liberal punditocracy is saying. Um, like, I've been fascinated by, for example, Vox's uh, um, co-opting and weakening of DSA talking points. So I listened to that stuff, and so Rachel Maddow came up on my show, and it felt like I was listening to Alex Jones, but, like, classier. Yeah, the um, the Adam Johnson and Nima Shiraz on Citations Needed, you know, did a thing about how, it was like, her freaking out about, God, what was it, um, foreign control over... Was it was it uh, power systems in in like the in like in the Great Plains or in like North Dakota or, or Nebraska and like like somehow they could get in there and cut off you know what if you know what if the electricity was cut off and all these people suddenly had to froze what you know and what if you know what if the you know sinister Russian forces or something and it was this this is the director of national intelligence telling us all in unclassified form in black and white China and Russia can do this today now whenever they want to. In other words, we're relying on their good graces that they're not. And it is like negative 50 degrees in the Dakotas right now. What would happen if Russia killed the power in Fargo today? Right? What would happen if all the natural gas lines that, that service Sioux Falls just poofed on the coldest day in recent memory and it wasn't in our power whether or not to turn them back on? I mean, what would you do if you lost heat indefinitely as the act of a foreign power? Hell yeah, I love this song. This is my coast to coast AM shit right here. Yeah. Next up, yeah, solar exactly. flares. Yeah. Talk you know the entire two. God, that show would they'd have three hour conversations about harp. Yeah, and it ruled. You know you, the, the thing is, here's one of the interesting things I've always been fascinated about. Um, there does seem to be something in the media landscape. Like I listened to Coast and Coast AM for I don't know like ten years when I was up. <laughs> you know. Um, and uh, I, it was kind of irony listening, but one thing that's made this conspiracy stuff a little bit more interesting is there's always been conspiracy kind of thinking, but this idea that you control yourself into, you know, from an insincere kind of irony listening to believing it um, seems more prevalent than it used to be. Because, like, I'm pretty sure that a lot of, you know, Coast to Coast was, was people listening to it somewhat ironically. Right. Or you, you know. Well, I mean, Coast to Coast was complicated in that way, though, because I listened to some episodes ironically, and I listened to some completely sincerely. I mean, George Knapp, well, in yeah. my opinion, is a solid investigator who does good work. Well, yeah, I mean, th and that's true for a lot of things. Like, um, I mean, I'm trying to think of an example, but Wait, there did, are. Did George take over from um, from Art? Who was who's the guy? Who's the, who was the main weeknight guy who took over from Art? George Norrie. Okay, there we go. George yeah. George Norrie versus George Knapp because big si difference. Yeah, big, big difference. Similarly, like Ian Pun <laughs> Ian Punnett, who did like I think uh, Friday, he did like either like Friday or Saturday night. He did like one night off, and he Ian I liked because Ian would actually call guests out on their shit. 
to the yeah. But anyway, yeah, Punnett's still kicking around. I think. Yeah, I think he. I think he had to. He had to. I know he had to quit. He had to either quit or dramatically scale back broadcasting due to it's either something with his voice or something with his ear. With his uh, his earring, his hearing. Turn your volume do you think, down, folks. Yeah. Do you think something maybe had to do? Maybe this has to do with with uh, something that's systemic, aka YouTube algorithms. Because you know, for example, when I do research on anything, including you know left wing research, eventually a Sargon of Akkad video will somehow show up in my next up feed. I think they're just. I think it's all at some point. It's patterns and. It's, right, exactly. It, there, there is no, there is no such thing as an ironic click. I think there's somebody at YouTube who's directing you to those videos specifically, like you. <laughs> you, Homer yeah. Simpson. Anyway, the no, um, but I mean, that that's something I've really like really thought about because, for example, I've been told if you like look my name up on YouTube, it's not like it's not very long before you hit a far right video that i'm not going i didn't have anything to do with well that's true but it's, that's almost for anything related to like culture or politics um I, I i mentioned this before but either it's either an episode of trash future or hacks which is a kind of a canadian leftist like techie podcast they did a an entire episode of um trying to see like how it's almost like a six degrees type of thing of how long between like you go you you look at any video on any topic and start following through you know the suggestions how long before that took you to videos that explicitly started talking about lizard people well i mean this is essentially conspiratorial thinking though isn't it i mean how is this meaningfully different from devin nunes thinking that there's somebody at twitter mashing the promote Devin Nunes' bomb Twitter account versus his. Well, what is it that Shijik used to say? One of the problems with conspiracy thinking is not paranoid enough. I mean, like... Yeah. And in some real sense, I think this is true here. I don't think anyone is deliber- is actively programming um, YouTube to throw up right-wing videos, but I do think... It's not hard for watching stochastic trends in the algorithm for people to figure out what hashtags to put in to get them to come up on almost everything. Yeah. Like, and you can figure that out just by trial and error. It's it's like the difference between intelligent design and evolution. Like, well, sure, um, but you're not dealing with the you're not dealing with the system that. I mean, let me start over. With these systems, though, you do have somebody who's in control of them. So if that is happening and it continues to happen, then someone is making a conscious choice to let that continue to happen. Well, is, but but there's a thing where is it a the difference between a malefactor versus a system of like someone deliberate, you know, someone deliberately like forcing you to see this stuff versus just it's kind of like as we, we mentioned way back, God, almost two hours ago or something. We, you know, we mentioned like fucked up arterial arterial. Act, actuarial tables trickling down through the years, uh, but it's, and it's still in existence. It's almost a thing of like who is of um, who is the one you know? Is there someone actively and intentionally doing this, or is it just kind of a side effect of of systems that were put into place uh, a while ago? But I don't. And, uh, I don't think I really don't like this, there's a meaningful difference though, because if you have a smaller system like Twitter, where we know. For a fact that a certain thing is happening, and the CEO of Twitter knows that a certain thing is happening, and he allows it to continue to happen, then it is something that originally was systemic, but has now become a conscious decision. Well, it's interesting. This is where where I have to really kind of think about Twitter, uh, Twitter, or um, YouTube, um, 
where they are selective in what they ban. Like I, I, I was somewhat taken aback by. I get why they were, you know, the Sandy Hook stuff being particularly egregious, but why they banned Alex Jones, but I couldn't justify what they didn't ban. <laughs> like, um, Jonathan Bowden. Um, Who? Yeah, you see, you don't know, that name's not famous, but he's, he was, and he's dead. But, um, he Sounds has like tons he got of videos pretty hard then. that are put up by people like Richard Spencer. You can still find that stuff on, on all those accounts and it's not like some of those people aren't famous but jonathan bowden isn't so say you block richard spencer but you don't block jonathan bowden's accounts or people who post from it um because you don't know about him um well bowden was in some ways is more virulent than than even richard spencer is um but you can still find him on youtube really easily and that there's also like you know it, that's that's difficult to deal with for two reasons one um it's almost impossible if you're if you're banning people specifically and not ideas. Um, it's going to be very hard to catch everybody because you simply don't know who they all are. Um, and two, banning ideas on a on a on a thing like that would be a very unpalatable. But the there are live actors who are also playing a red queen a, a red queen game with with the algorithm to uh, get around it that's even true for for alex jones like he there are ways that jones got around his ban yeah not, it just, didn't save it's not saving his business model at all hang on what's but, hang on what's a red queen maneuver where you where you are all constantly running oh, because yes. you're never going to arrive there it's a it's a um it's from through the looking glass alice, it's from through the looking glass but anyway yeah so you just you, like there's a, there's kind of a game of uh, or you can think of it as a game of cat, cat and mouse where like as soon as you change one variable to block these people out they figure out another way around the the code that you just did but in the case of Twitter it's harder because they are so selective like it it seems like sporadic who they do and don't tolerate and largely based on who they're getting a lot of flack for tolerating yeah it this it reminds me of I think something you talked about how um just all the deaths during you know um during like early stalin era soviet union how much of it was like in, you know it's kind of a thing where you know the intentional bad actor versus how much of how much it was just people fucking up because they had they didn't know what they were doing and had no idea that they didn't know that they were what they were doing which i think with uh with like twitter a lot of it is as people pointed out um the most sensible option is that um or well to a certain mindset these people you know fundamentally uh, do not understand like their own network or the people who use their network uh, much less how to control it but one thing i w i will grant uh, jacob that he's got a valid point on is that by my heuristic a twitter conspiracy is more viable than say a mass government one because it wouldn't you only need a few coders that's true you wouldn't even need to have a coder at the top you just need like Somewhere, a couple yeah. of sympathetic coders to throw in some 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 monkey riches into that algorithm, and it it's possible without a whole lot. Like so, that's the other thing about these private systems, right? Like they're private. Yeah. Um, Which is why I think we see the conspiracy theories manifesting with them as often as we do, because we have so little information that we have to fill in the gap somehow. So it's only natural that you see both people on the left and the right immediately rushing to these grand narratives about why their favorite poster got kicked off. 
Yeah, the, yeah. The reason why my uh, why my my grandchildren refuse to, you know, re- <laughs> re- you know, comment on my posts is, God, I don't want to say, you know, a really shitty racist ass posts, and and uh, and, and I, it is because I must be I must have been shadow banned. That's the only reason why because everyone loves me, you know. Yeah, one of the things I found interesting, and this is in contra- uh, contradiction to my. Um, uh, to uh, Angela Nagel because uh, Nagel was very interested in the 4chan Reddit, and she seemed to imagine that all these, um, a lot of this right wing conspiracy and transgression culture was really young. But the recent, the recent uh, demographic studies on this is actually that they're not. Um, yeah, think- that, that like they're overwhelmingly um, over fifty five. Yeah, and I think that definitely changed because something awful, something awful was definitely. I was one of the older folks on there. And low tax was a, even a couple of years younger than me, and then you know, all of a sudden you uh, these these bullets and you know all these message bring back message boards, folks. You know, fuck social media. But these things, um, you know, they they go on, and at some point, four chan and four chan spins out. You know, because <laughs> there was a mass purging of a bunch of people who were into certain kinds of. Um, Let's just say illegal and kind of inappropriate uh, hentai. They four chan spins out, and it kind of take you know these networks take a life on their own. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and but their age demographic change. I mean, I was looking at like fake news posts, and they are the, those. For example, the, there are good stats that those are overwhelmingly shared by um, people over fifty five. Yeah, you know another thing about this conspiracy culture stuff is, and I talked about this in my conversation with JG Michael. Watergate happened, and a lot of these people still have that as their set point. I mean, um, which is funny, though, because uh, you see a very similar trend with a lot of people sharing the fake news and coming out of this conspiracy theory culture actually supporting the president. Now, I say this as I also think that Russiagate's conspiratorial thinking, but like um, in, the, in the scale that it's taken. Um, I mean, frankly... I would be very, very, very surprised if um, Mueller didn't find some evidence of collusion because of Trump's business. But I would be also surprised if it mattered to the outcomes at all. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the that was that's how, that's that's the trick, isn't it? Of like uh, realizing that it, it, it's all a matter of scale. That it's this or but yeah, not so much of a nature, but of scale. It's like this shit isn't. It's not a. It's not a John Le Carre novel. It's a fucking. Uh, it's a Coen Brothers movie. It's, yeah, exactly. It's just. It's idiots. It's high powered idiots doing idiotic, greedy shit, and you know, doing like just extremely dumb, bog standard, uh, corrupt. Like I said, uh, fucking uh, Kushner trying to sell his, uh, his uh, that that uh, that building he has to. God, what, I think he tried to sell it to like the some Saudis for a while, and also to also to some of the Russians. And I think I still don't, or maybe even like the Chinese or something. I still don't know. You know, I don't think anybody actually knows who it was. But it's kind of a thing where, yeah, these are just they're just regular like just schmucks doing schmuck shit. Oh yeah, and and I'm I'm sure, like historically speaking, you, with most with most uh, administrations, you would find schmucks doing schmuck shit, unless someone came pretty much solely out of the public sector. Um, so, you know, I mean, and plus, I don't know. I, I, so, so I guess my, my, my takeaway from this is that, um, it's very hard now to even like figure out what, what a reasonable or unreasonable conspiracy is other than looking at scale. Like how many people would be involved? Cause I have a hard time believing that you're going to keep more than 200 people quiet ever. Yeah. 
Like, but you could keep three people quiet. <laughs> like, well, that's not that hard. Yeah. The, one of the things that I did want to ask, um, I guess in terms of just, because again, it's, it's in the, you know, that's the real trick now is, is learning the evaluation is, um, can you walk us through, like, how to explain to somebody, like, how to, how to, you know, tips on how to determine something, you know, going back to, like, Bayesian probability, how to determine if something is more likely or less likely? Um, does it involve a scale of people larger than a, than a mid-sized extended family? <laughs> um, because, one, that's going to be most people's um, scale for what they know, and if you make that reference, they can kind of get how hard it is to, can, like, keep those people silent. Particularly if you're not, I don't know, you know, not nuking their city block or something <laughs> like because it, it's very hard to keep people quiet, like particularly for anything over like 25 years um, Two, um, so that's a big one Two is 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 what I said, like how likelihood what's the likelihood of this happening in the past and how many other cons- how many other conspiracies would have to be true? Like, if you have an exponential conspiracy drift, um, that's not going to work. And the other thing I tend to do is to very subtly show people where some of their things are contradictory. Because one of the things I've noticed about hardcore conspiracists is they believe mutually exclusive things. Um, and but, but to be fair, hard, truly hardcore conspiracists I do think are actually rarer than we think. Like, I... When people tell me that, like, oh, I know a, a tenth of the population believes the Earth is flat, I'm like, I don't really believe that. Like, I don't really believe that that many people believe that. I don't know how you know that. Yeah, that's a conspiracy um, theory. You know, like, so, yeah. Um, if it, it just if you can keep the numbers down, your your if you keep the numbers of people who would have to be quiet or would have to know about it down, the, the odds go up pretty dramatically that it's possible. Um, but teaching people how to recognize that is hard. Yeah, because a lot of people don't realize the number of people involved in any one action are also like the number of people who aren't involved. Particularly when we talk about businesses, like you know, you could have a coding room for a mega, like you know, for example, I think about uh, the insurance company I used to work for. Um, you know, their actuarial group was probably only like two hundred people for like a ton of states. And that wouldn't be that. I mean, I, I don't have any evidence that there ever was any conspiracies, but it wouldn't be that hard. Um, or you look at like Enron, which affected millions of people, but I think only like 25 or 30 people really had to be in on the take and the no. Um, you know, I mean, it affects hundreds of people directly and like, you know, whole areas of the country indirectly. Well, um, but you don't have to have that many people in the know there. And I would say that touches on something that I think gets neglected a lot, which is motive. I can definitely believe a larger conspiracy can be assembled if there is a serious financial motive, for example. Uh, With the Harvey Weinstein thing, it turned out that he was hiring this company called, I believe, Black Cube Mm -hmm. to engage in some pretty disturbing activity in order to cover up his malfeasance. And that ultimately wound up leaking ironically but it was apparently a lot of people working very hard to do some pretty atrocious things for him but i, I, can, that, I can believe that they years, would keep that secret because you know they, they got paid to yeah well that's where my year but that's where that year's equation comes in like think about how long it would have to be kept secret for because the financial motive is going to be dependent on how long that payoff is uh, is continuing 
Um, and that's that's a dicier question. But I mean, like, yeah, that, that, that's fairly large scale. Although, like, again, when you talk about scales of magnitude, like that versus, say, 9-11 was an inside job, that's an order of magnitude difference in the number of people would have to be involved in that. Um, so that's that's where things get kind of dicey. And admittedly, I don't always know how to tell people, like you're asking me as I can give you a hard answer. What You, you didn't, you haven't asked me why I quit teaching the course. <laughs> you kept red pilling everybody. Yeah. You kept black pilling everybody. I, I kept black pilling everybody actually. No, seriously. Um, I had people who would get deeper and deeper into these conspiracies by exposure. So I had four students who sincerely convinced themselves that the moon was a, was a NASA conspiracy. Whoa. Not the moon landing, the moon. Um, That's some David Icke shit right there. Yeah. And I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. (laughs) So, um, so, you know, unfortunately, Jeremy, some of the stuff I have to say is I'm not sure that it does work. Like, I can give people uh, I can give people on the fence a kind of guideline for find, for figuring out what's reasonable. Um, but I couldn't I could if you're a hardcore invested in conspiracy in uh, cons- in a particular set of conspiracy theory frameworks, there's very little I can do. Right. All right. Yeah. I don't think it's. I don't, and I don't think it's. This is and. And I think yeah, and Aaron Gupta talked about this too. It's it's not necessarily a matter of like convincing the diehard, but it's almost like it's giving signaling little like indicators to everybody else around better directions to head in. Yeah, like what? Like that's why that's why I frame this not in like I said originally not in debunking conspiracies, but figuring out which ones are reasonable. Like, what is the likelihood of it being possible? And even then, like. I don't know. I mean, like, hell, the reptoids could be real. There's almost zero percent chance that it is, but it could be. There's always the, you know, the weird chance that I don't understand any of the laws of physics real, and all that's a conspiracy too. There's no way for me to, with any sort of epistemic certainty, to to undo that. But I can, I can give you a lot of priors that would indicate that it's pretty unlikely. Well, I just want to, if you start from the idea that abortion is murder for example and then go to the idea that the left is obsessed with abortion and loves late term abortion and you buy into the James O'Keefe notions about how they're buying fancy cars with their abortion money then I think something like the idea of child sacrifice with Pizzagate is a lot more plausible so you would have Oh and I, I know people who believe that and I have never been able to talk them out of it. But what I'm uh, saying is that they are coming from a position where it is logical for them to believe that. But for you to argue against that point requires you to go against basic premises that are just profoundly ingrained into their into their worldview. Well, right. Uh, yeah, and I don't think it's this is a, it's a matter of like, you know, it's like you're not going to change their change their mind in a particular debate. You know, there's no better way to re-cement a belief system than directly attacking it. Yeah, for it, for sure. Sure, but they, um, what I'm saying is that they have built a chain of logic that is reasonable to them. And unless you're willing to go back to the initial starting point and work from there, which is not feasible, realistically speaking, you know, it's why would they why would they change their opinion? You know, the, they would. There's no reason for them to do so unless there's a personal investment stake, which is why I never argue with those people 
um, on terms of logic. Yeah. I just don't. I mean, like it, because it's, it, I, I don't, I don't really necessarily, you know, that whole, like you can't logic someone out of something they didn't logic themselves to. I don't actually think that's true entirely, but when it comes to first premises like that, like there isn't much you can do, like particularly with the religious stuff, you know, with the religious stuff. And I'm not anti-religious. I go on like, um, religious podcasts and stuff all the time right. actually but but if if you accept that worldview and i have a, a there's a friend of mine who does i'm not gonna name their name but um uh who like they really believe it, that abortion and they're okay with pizzagate because they also think that probably abortion's a demonic cons- you know a demonic that there are supernatural forces at work in here and the satanic panic is probably something that they would say, you know, it's possible. So we're, um, we're connecting back to all sorts of past recent episodes here. Well, you I know, mean, and I don't know how you I really don't know how you how you other than attacking their premises are trying to soften their premises a little bit. How you would do that, like how, how you do engage with with that particular subset. I mean, like you can appeal to basic human emotion like emotive value cores but in terms of like absolute reasoning you're right that's a lost cause because everything that they're saying is illogical as it seems to us is based off of a premise that if you accept that premise all the other steps are logical sure well and similarly if you subscribe to the idea that america is a force for good in the world that god is a good guy and that he tried to make a good place for us where we could struggle and learn, but still, ultimately, things progress really well. And then you drop in the idea that there is systemic oppression. That is a tough argument to make with somebody who has a lot of reasons to believe otherwise. And it is, in some cases, more parsimonious for them to jump to the idea that maybe certain populations, quote-unquote, are just inherently inferior, and that's just how they were made. Yep. I mean, I've actually talked to people about about the the one of the things that, for example, when you talk about um, like African American incarceration, even when you bring up the fact that um, you we have like police documentation for example, numbers of arrests and convictions being the same. Uh, I mean. Um, excuse me, numbers of arrests being the same, but convictions not being the same, that the logical conclusion many people come to is that, well, if this is just and I am part of a just world, then we must, then it's a fact to conclude that minorities are more violent. Yeah. I, um, I, I was listening for some reason to a debate with Sargon uh, that somebody had, and I believe the thing that he jumped to is, well, are you saying the police are racist? Yeah, I know, and it, it, that's hard to fight. Particularly, you know, and they'll point to, for example, um, and, and this is where a lot of a lot of um, left and left liberal activists really don't help themselves. You know, for example, um, I recently at my school, a Black Lives Matter activist came and spoke to our school, and she was talking about diversifying the FBI, and some kids started screaming about how white supremacy wasn't real. Unfortunately, but also one of the things that they said to their teacher afterwards was like, look, in Maryland, I remember looking that up. They were very young. I think at the time they probably would have been like, I don't know, like 11 or 10. But I looked up the event at Maryland's one of the first events of Black Lives Matter. And like those cops were black. 
Yeah, that's what the key. Uh, this is this is the Kianga Yamada Taylor devotes a good chapter or two, I think, in her book about this about how that um, with the police chief, the mayor, uh, the governor, the <laughs> the uh, attorney general, and the president at the time, it was kind of like I don't know if, all, if every stage in between them had a lot of black folks, but there were um, there were more few and. And I'm saying that we're coming from, uh, we're calling from uh, this, we're in Portland, Oregon, where they hired our police chief, They uh, is a black woman from, of all places, Oakland PD. Danielle Outlaw. Still there? Okay. Oh, so anyway. Yeah, no, no, I'm just, but it's just an, ex- but yeah, that's kind of a, um, but yeah, that is, well, kind of, no, sorry. No, no, I'm with you. That's, that's a problem, but it's also, it's a, like you have two, you have two major voices, uh, and Black Lives Matter, who don't agree with each other about how to approach you know, police diversification, for example. But, you know, that nuance is not that messy world if someone wants a coherent worldview. And frankly, this doesn't just apply to right wing stuff like a lot of a lot of left wing justice narratives also have a hard time dealing with um, systemic stuff, even when they say they understand privilege and use that language. Like I said before, like a lot of people really want to and like it's not just you know, right-wingers are religious people. I mean, Sargon of Akkad is not religious. Like, he comes out of the skeptic community. Um, you know, Sam Harris has always been kind of more sketchy than people realize, I think. But Yeah, I mean, shit, Chris Hedges wrote about him doing this shit back in, like, back in the late W era. Oh, no, I mean, his first book, um, The End of Faith, the first book I remember by him, like, oh, my God. Like, I remember quoting, um, and there was, some, there was an Indian... Uh, atheist, he was like, oh, there. He's really soft on like, on like, you know, Hindus and Buddhists and, and and stuff and their violence, you know. But um, he said he actually outright says that you, you that it's rational to kill people for their beliefs, leading to the potentiality of them killing someone. Fun stuff, folks. Um, all right, a couple bits more. In the, well, because there's a separate topic that I do want to mention, but at some point there's a couple questions that I wanted to make. Can we talk about how to um, – and again, I think a lot of this is almost like a psychology bit of – like a way to a, a way to help people uh, um, not contemplate, but at least to be able to think of – you know, handle the fact of you know, the difference between the possible versus the probable. This really helps if people understand math, but that's like a lost cause in and of itself, right? One of the biggest one of the biggest hurdles I run into is narrative bias. Yep. And this is also is true for for lefties. Like we want a story. Yeah. We're hard. You know, um, and sometimes there isn't a story <laughs> like so are there are there might be a bunch of stories, but there isn't a story. There's no master narrative there. There's a bunch of stochastic data one of my, my favorite examples of this is and this is this is like into far 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 left territory right but uh debate over long raid cron cycles which are these ideas of like long business cycles that span like centuries it's the beta marxism well the problem with the debate is in that time scale um trends are functionally the same as noise yeah so you, in which in other words yeah you, all signal is lost yeah, like like uh, like it's gonna look. You can map it out. It's gonna map out on a on a wave. But if there's any causal or even correlated mechanism, you can't know because because noise also maps out on a wave function. So like, um, so that's very hard to to talk about. Like I, I'm sure like a lot of our not math geeky listeners probably just 
glazed over. Um, and, and, um, and look, this stuff matters. Like I spent a whole eight episodes on a podcast talking about different ways of modeling profits. Um, and you know, like if you weren't a hyper geek, I'm sure it was the most boring thing in the world, but it actually is really important for, for trying to talk about what, how capitalism actually works over time. Um, yes. And you know, I'll say, yeah, uh, the, one of the, uh, well, also one of the uh, the topics that I kind of return to from time to time, talking to people about just the utility and the beneficial aspects of like podcasts as a medium, is that you can you can you know you can get into deep esoteric shit like that and really kind of uh, spin it out and work on it um, in real time with other people, and you know, and it, because it's all it all goes to tape. Um, that it gets recorded and they're in, you know, folks can kind of like both listen to it and then also revisit it over time. Yeah. As opposed to like when you would do that on like a pirate radio where you could do that, but you know, if you weren't listening in real time, it was pretty much gone. Yeah. And you don't have the tape um, player going, you don't have the tape going. There's, there's that. And, uh, so to get, to get back to that though, that's hard. That really is hard to get across a probable versus a possible. I do like to talk about priors and talk about simple ratios, like, because people can get that simple ratios are pretty like, Oh, I get one out of three. Yeah. I can see that in my head. But once you start getting into large numbers and, and like marginal ratios, like, you know, like when you start dealing with scale or trying to get, you know, trying to talk to people about like, just in general, how statistics are used in media. I'm going to talk about something that's very close to conspiracy thinking, but like, you know, the way people can hack P values, that's hard to explain to somebody. Or yeah. the replication crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh my God. Yeah. And that, um, and yeah, that does come down to it is at some point, and this is almost, again, this, we're into, we're into like <laughs> where f- psychology and philosophy meet is. Ultimately, how does someone deal with the lack, you know, with that lack of 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 certainty, that lack of epistemic uh, epistemic certainty? The fact that, yeah, it's it ultimately we just, you know, we like we we won't know. We have an idea. We know what's what is more likely and less likely. But you know, at some point, it's just kind of like it's that's it. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, and like I said, there there are real conspiracies. And one of one of the weirder things about what I found from studying like sixties COINTELPRO, there were conspiracies that communists were taking over liberal organizations on campuses with with foreign aid. And guess and what? Yeah, it, it was true and good. <laughs> you know, and, and and lefties get. I mean, I have leftist friends who get mad at me for saying that, but I'm like it was true and let's be honest we don't even think that was wrong like <laughs> you know that's you know we're we're working with allies or something right like of course we do that but to someone else that looks like a a nefarious conspiracy but from their perspective they're not entirely wrong and conversely COINTELPRO was all up in everybody's crap no i mean honestly it wasn't just in left-wingers crap but it was like anybody who was marginal. Also, the the you know a lot of people from the State Department who'd taken CIA or proto CIA money um, were all over the, the the industry left, right, and center. Like, you know, my my favorite weird fact is uh, proto CIA. You got Buckley um, on the conservative side. You got uh, <laughs> Julia Childs of all people. Well, how do you get from public relations then to Wild Bill Donovan? And the OSS. Well, because then World War II came along, 
And in your generation, you won't realize that in mine, we were saving the world so that everybody that I knew was in the Army or the Navy or down in Washington. So that's where I went, and I got into the OSS. But having no languages and no skills, I ended up in the files, and I stayed in the files all during the war. But at least I knew what was going on. So you actually reported to Don did you report to Donovan? I was in his I was in his private office for a while. Always the files. And then I got an opportunity to be to go to what we call the fist squeezing unit, <laughs> which was air sea rescue equipment. And then from there I heard that they were planning to send people overseas. I knew that sometime I'd get over to France. Up to then, I'd only been in Tijuana. You have a, 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 the Frankfurt School indirectly. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they both worked for. Was they both worked for the the War Department? And they then, both worked for the War Department, and then the Frankfurt School was brought over partly with um, with uh, intelligence money. It's fun to imagine Buckley just going completely Jason Bourne on a motherfucker, like <laughs> hitting him with a magazine. <laughs> breaking his wrist <laughs> he never left his desk but in the um i mean that's also true for like uh what's a Gloria steinem was was also in on that wait what like yeah oh no <laughs> like <laughs> history is complicated and weird and it's because yeah that's that, that's also the part of it is reality and uh you know what actually happens is far weirder and more importantly far dumber than we could ever possibly accept or or contemplate or you know even conceive of well i know the fbi had people on hemingway oh yeah they totally did but also hemingway uh, in the last bio we did um dearborn has on from some soviet archives that he actually was taking um some soviet money for something but who knows wait what what? yes holy shit i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna need to look into that um, I'm trying to remember the specifics of it, but the FBI was on him, and apparently, like, um, he indirectly there was there was some some Soviet money. Although anyone involved in the Spanish Civil War at all, you sure. know, yeah, would would um had had some you know A bit sus. Well, uh, that time that that period was complicated. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and everybody's doing. You know, every watch. I mean, like you know, Orwell was. You know, my, my favorite story is like you hear about um, Marxist Leninists complaining about Orwell being a, a state agent. Well, he was. Like he actually saw it as a socialist duty to fight the fascist, um, and then and then he saw it as a socialist duty to fight the Stalinists because um, because of what basically happened to him in uh, Catalonia. Um, so he was working with. The British. I mean, he was part of a. He was part of the British propaganda machine. Is what he knew of it so well um, during the war. And B, like, he did have people blacklisted who were communist. Like, it's it's just true. Um, that doesn't invalidate everything he said, or even said he did it for nefarious reasons. We just kind of don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, he never he never explicitly gave up on socialism, but y- y- it's hard to know with any of these people. I mean, that's it's hard to know with a lot with a lot of this. And also, I mean, like a lot of the anti-communists from the 30s were born out of the fact that, like, the Comintern was kidnapping and executing people in, who were fairly innocuous, even in America. And one of the weirdest things I remember um, reading was that in the Soviet archives, it uh, there's a. Uh, 
there's a time that um, Stalin was considering put a hit out on Mao. I you know, when he oh go ahead so so I mean like that's all real and it's really weird like people were like the sides were super fluid particularly once you get into Molotov Ribbentrop strategic you know strategic you know um, detente and stuff it it was it was a very strange time Jacob do you did you have a thing well. I was going to say that this touches on something that we were actually discussing earlier as well, which is that I think part of the issue with conspiracy theories is that it requires you to, in a lot of cases, delve into someone's mind. Right. And you have to think, well, you know, do I believe that Hillary Clinton is capable of sacrificing babies in a pizza basement? Yeah, okay. You know, if you, I mean... If you believe that someone is capable of doing that, then the conspiracy obviously becomes a lot easier. And even with conspiracy theorists, you know, I, there's a lot of debate w- over whether or not Alex Jones actually believes what he's saying. And how can we know? Right. I, 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 to be frank, like, I a, can't know the quality of any person's mind, but be like with Alex Jones, like it, it's very hard to know if he believes a lot of it. Although, given how much he's drunk on his show... But at the same time, the, the enemy's breathing down our neck. And you got to realize that uh, we've had a lot of game changers in this fight. And we can sit here and, like, talk about Easter bunnies or walruses or Keebler elves or, you know, anything else we talk about. Like, uh, you know, what do they call those things? The little, those, those, those little things, those... Uh, those little things that Green hops around has to, the little pits of gold. A goblin? No, those are goblins. What's the thing that hops around? Leprechauns. Did you see some leprechauns? I've seen a lot of leprechauns. The point is, is that those of us that stand against the leprechaun invasion are being censored. <laughs> I have a little bit of fun right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the full, like full-on swigs from the goddamn bottle. On, ca- um, on camera. I, he, he must believe a lot of it, even if it's... Like, it, the thing is... You can believe shit that's completely inconsistent with other shit you believe. Yeah. Like, the um, sure. What's the, what, yeah? Cue the uh, the H.P. Lovecraft uh, quote. The most merciful thing in the world, I think, is the inability of the human mind to correlate all its contents. We live on a placid island of ignorance in the midst of black seas of infinity, and it was not meant that we should voyage far. About the uh, human mind's inability to correlate. All of its uh, all of its cont- contents. Yeah, our, our his um, what is it? The humans. It's like our mercy is that we can't do that. Yeah. Like the c- consistency would be would utterly destroy us, according to Lovecraft. I mean, you know. Yeah, but I think that's really important. I mean, my opinions, for example, on whether or not Alex Jones should be deplatformed, probably are influenced to a certain extent by what extent I think he's a grifter. And similarly, yeah. even on a even on a simpler level, if I'm going to have a debate on someone, I, I'm not going to go into a debate with somebody who's arguing with, in bad faith. It's not right. worth my it, time. And yet, if you accuse everyone of being in bad faith, then because one of the you know we all know from uh, from internet arguments that you can all like there's no way to prove you're not acting in bad faith. Right. Right. That's why if you that's why it's so incredibly maddening when someone accuses you of it. Yet it's not also it's not unfair to have that as like a, as like a worst case heuristic for almost anybody. Yeah. 
And that's kind of the, that's in a, at the end of that, that. That is what everything, all of this comes down to is just it's a tool set. It's a it's a, it's a a menu of heuristics. It's a bunch of rules of thumb and like indications and kind of and hunches that you have to develop over time on how to interpret this stuff. Yeah, and and, and honestly, like I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that to be a little bit on the epistemic humility side here, you know, and I, as I remind you i am given to like you know profound um uh molotov cocktails of thought but um um one of the things i think about all the time um is um how this kind of everyday heuristic thing that i'm talking about in using bayesian and all that all that analysis that's not actually super compatible with like dialectical logic and marxism it's kind of not um, and I, I, I don't know if I can square that circle. And so that, you know, my way of, um, handling that is just being honest about that. Like, yeah. I'm not sure that this does it, this part, this worldview and this world, like this street level worldview that I have this very ad hoc versus this like thought out complex methodological, uh, you know, worldview that they're actually compatible. Like, I don't know. I mean, I've, been to- I've had Marxists tell me that they're not. But, you know, these are also the people who insist that, like, Lamarckian evolution is real because Ingalls may have wrote about it once. Ha. Whoa. Um, <laughs> do we even want to begin to explain what what that means to uh, – God, I don't even know if I can <laughs> – Another two-hour conversation yeah, that will lose most of your energy. Yeah, the, for, that's, that, the, anyway, that's, well, yeah, we'll summarize. That, that was a good point, for, ladies and gentlemen. Um, one, okay, okay, we've got to get some flowers, and then we're going to start, <laughs> you know, populating them. Yeah, we and well, and also grain seed. We got you know, we uh, strains of wheat, and and we'll start and we'll start you know we'll start threatening people if they don't produce enough wheat, they'll be shot. So um, what could be, what could go wrong? Anyway, one uh, one thing I did want to bring up is on the topic of. I think a lot of internet culture does this too, and I, I'm occasionally um, it's because it's you know these are really easy things to fall into, but it's like can we talk about um, you know ways to handle like how, uh, ways to handle or like better ways to handle people who so that we're, um, you know how do you not just um, how do people not just like laugh at conspiracy theorists or laugh at people who are kind of you know because it's like a lot of times people get uh, you know a lot of people get you know modernity is victimizing modernity you know traumatizes a lot of folks and so how do you you know how do we handle people who might be uh inclined or like drifting in some of these directions from sincere well, what, you know I, I i talked about this earlier like i one of the things i think about is conspiracy theories are rapid in the southern black community right they are um is like there's been studies on this it's also like i know i kind of know it anecdotally but you talk about people who are marginalized from from many political participations and also have been victimized by actual conspiracies yeah tuskegee experiment you know like so it's completely rational in a way yeah um even if it's maladaptively rational it's one of those things so i always i actually start with compassion on that in that regard um the other thing is like you know there there are these moments when i'm listening you know i'm listening to liberals mock alex jones and alex jones is is crazy and right wing and craven as he can sometimes be will say something that rhymes with what i believe like you know just just kind of does like it, it it's not because 
I don't share a worldview with Alex Jones, but there are there are things where where he'll he'll hit on something like accidentally about banking, you know, in in this weird structurally anti-Semitic way that he's doing it, but that he'll hit on something that I think is in the right direction, but completely misguided in its manifestation, but also based off of a bunch of you know premises he has. You know, frankly, some of which are religious that I don't know how you would, you know, deprogram, so to speak. But I can grant someone who's listening to them and then just offer them like, look, I think this explains this easier. But if you don't accept that, you know, I don't shun people for it. Like, I am friends with this person I talked to you, you know, like I was mentioning who totally would who totally, you know, it isn't that hard for this person to believe that, like, Pizzagate's a thing. I don't think they do, but it, it's not that far out of their worldview. And um, one of the, you know, one of the reasons I'm, I, I value talking to them is it reminds me of these other premises that I have to deal with. Um, you know, and you know, I've known them personally, and we have a good, you know, like we have a good relationship. And actually, I have been able to make headway. with him because of my relationship to him as a person because he doesn't think i would sacrifice babies right the uh, the um like the what uh pathos versus logos in terms of it's it's ethos this is ethos ethos. pathos versus ethos so it's pathos is my emotional response and ethos is my response to someone's character it sounds like ethics but it's not what it means it's like i have you like you have an emotional response to my character because you know me um, and that means that like our tendency to shun conservatives and stuff, you know, like, look, I don't like hanging out with frog Nazis either. Like, I'm not telling you to go do that. <laughs> like, don't, don't, I, this is not a liberal appeal to like, we can all get along because we can't. But on, on some level, if you don't have some kind of ethical credibility, and you can't move in circles where some of these people are at least tangentially at, you cannot talk to them because you're never going to outlogic them. The only thing you can really do is have them trust you enough to know that you personally are not going to kill any babies. And therefore, maybe from knowing you, they can have an imagination where other people like you also may not be trying to sacrifice a bunch of babies. Like, that's all you got. That's really the only weapon you have there. And that's an uncomfortable weapon because it, it does mean going out and, and like subjecting yourself to stuff that you're going to find morally reprehensible. Yeah, it's the mo- it's the it's the moral part that always I think trips up a lot of people because it's kind of like most for a lot of folks it's like is everything is so hyper not hyper moral but hyper moralized that yeah it's like hey that, yeah. no, we we can't possibly do that that person but uh, um again you know. Plato or whoever, you know, like you know that person, but they 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 believe the wrong thing, and and either because of that are evil or evil and bad, or they are evil and bad, thus believe the wrong thing or something. But um, like we can't possibly deal with that, and you know, because we'll get you know it'll rub off on us or something. Yeah, it's a fear of moral contagion, and that that's a that's a real problem from us. It makes it very very hard to do anything, and um. In regards to these specific issues, because like I said, you can't logic people out of this. You can't even narrative out of this because like their logic is sound from their premises. Like um, Jacob's completely right about that. So the only appeal you have is is appeal to people who aren't completely converted and then your relationship to people who are. But if you believe and I, I've been pushing on I get a lot of crap for pushing this. I actually am one of those uh, people who think, yeah, your politics should kind of reflect your deepest human values. They should. 
Like but a, if you say they're the same as your deepest human values, you have both a very shallow politics and a very shallow ethics. Like, so I mean, that that sounds really condemnatory, but I actually kind of believe that because, like, one, most people's politics is not enactable on a day to day basis. It's, it's not, you know. The, but, go ahead. Oh, um, the, I I had another question, but yeah, please feel free to finish your point. Well, I just uh, this cuts against um, almost uh, almost forty five years of leftist thought on the personal being political, like. In some degree, I, I, I actually think, yes, the personal is political. On another level, like, no, it's absolutely not. Like, you do have to have your, – your politics, even if they reflect your, your deepest human wants, needs, and desires, they can't be contiguous to it because your politics are not usually, for most people, completely realizable ever. At least not within your – like, you don't control enough of that to make it happen on your own. Like, there's no way. Gotcha. Um, last thing on the topic that I did want to mention is can we talk about the act of uh, of just asking questions well that's the other that's also useful because one of the things that I found is a lot of times we don't actually know what a pe- what people's premises are this is another thing that Jacob like that, that, that wrench you threw in Jacob is really important because we just assume like that People like people's premises are are either illogical entirely, and maybe they are, but first premises are hardly ever about logic, even even in the secular. And uh, secondly, like that, we are not always even like we we tend to override people's logic for how they arrived at what we think would be what would take someone to that point. Like you know, well, the straw man is like, oh, you just hate poor people, or you are of whatever class. You know, mm-hmm. one, of, one of the things that I haven't heard Marxists talk a lot about is the empirical studies on uh, working class people who are generally depoliticized, but on um, on just world theory. Working class people d- are, are, are not immune to, ju- to just, world, uh, just world moral ideologies, which means that means a lot of them like accept the justice of wealth. Hmm. Um, why? Well, because it would be easier to see yourself as morally reprobate than have to deal with the idea that there is no just order at all. Like one of those is way more scary than the other. Yeah, that's the that is the trick. The old line is, what's more terrifying: the fact that you know there is a there's a shadowy cabal with their with their hands, either shadowy cabal or some or uh, some malefacting uh, presence, all powerful presence controlling over controlling everything, or that there's not. Yeah, there's not at all. Yeah, there, yeah, there, there's no one there, and um, and it's like we're you know we've been left to our old you know you know uh, you know Yahweh has no problem with le- with letting us fuck shit up for ourselves, kind of a thing. Yeah, I mean that there's a there's a whole lot of um, uh, of things that you really need to think about with that, and, and I actually I there's this tendency that a lot of skeptics have to overly psychologize this actually, but. Um, but I do think you have to to really sit with the idea that um, it is terrifying for people, not just for conspiracy theories, but like even like the justice of wealth, to live with this idea that there is no that like there is no moral order, or if there is one, it's incredibly opaque. Like, um, and so simple simple just world philosophies just 
you know, beg out for 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 justification of victimization, even if the victim is you. Right. And like we kind of know this from studies of like, you know, sexual assault survivors and stuff. But we've a lot of people don't apply it to anything else. And it applies to economic injustice, too. Um or even like in America, for example, um, racial biases like amongst people um, amongst African Americans against people with dark skin is is pretty high. You know, even against people who are who are essentially anti-racist um, and of color, they still have some of these biases because your brain wants to justify certain orders as having some kind of moral foundation. Period. Even if you intellectually know better. Like that's the real scary thing is you can know all this and it not matter to subconscious things that you're doing. Um, oh yeah, but also a bit of a clarification on the question. I think the but the because I think there's a lot of folks um, or at least blow in terms of I guess this runs up against problems of knowing whether these are like these are people are deliberately being disingenuous. We we don't really know the contents of their mind, but of people who are like, well, hey, you know, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to. Uh, Saying like I'm just asking questions here. I'm not trying to like impute any, you know. I'm not trying to cast shade. I'm just uh, it's like people who are kind of like trying to accuse someone of something by you know J A Q, uh, what they call jacking off. Yeah, I mean just derailing, right? Like is someone actively derailing, or they're just being intellectually curious. And I'll be honest with you, there's almost no real way to know. Uh, my 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 personal rubric for this is that you should generally assume until you have um, some kind of really obviously transparently bad faith question um, that people are being intellectually curious. But I, you know, I actually have a hard time asking. I'm gonna almost sound like you know like a social justice liberal in this, but they have a point. I have a hard time asking anyone else to to adapt that as their rubric on some kind of moral grounds. Like that's a lot of work. It's a lot of stress, and you know I'm also a teacher. I'm trained in how to talk to people. Like, you know, I've been doing this for years. I've also been on the other side and can intellectually process that. You know, um, I've lived in a lot of countries, and that's changed the way I view a lot of the stuff. So, like, I'm not. I'm in a position to be more generous than a lot of other people would be. Um, and so I, it's hard to say, like, oh, you should be. You should be more giving of your time and self than all this, um, like as a kind of default statement. Although I, I do have to kind of say, if no one's willing to do that, then you you're pretty much at you're at super loggerheads, and, and nothing can be changed at all. To be concluded on the next episode of giving the mic to the wrong person.